All right, let's welcome Dan and Don. Praise God. And we don't have all the answers, but we'll do our best. If I can't answer something, I will point to him. All right, Dan and Don. Um, there's just there's a lot of information out there when it comes to like Christian dating and all the, all this practical advice that it seems like it'd be real easy to get confused and follow all the steps, but yet still miss that whole what you guys talked about. It's like the fullness of the fullness of love in one person and those two people coming together in that synergy. So, with the understanding you guys have now of that synergy, how that's supposed to work, that picture of two being a greater picture of one, like, like what would, what would actual, like, kingdom, like, dating look like? How would, how would you guys go back and to your, like, 19-year-old selves and be like, all right. No, no, your question fires me up. <laughs> but I'm going to let him share what he wants to share, too. God yeah. you for my son. What I would tell you is that Dan has the privilege of being invited even into colleges to speak about this. And it's probably a topic that's so passionate. And I think we've had a twisted mindset. And maybe, again, some teaching that hasn't necessarily followed biblical guidelines. So he could spend the next two hours actually answering your question. And the rest of y'all don't get to ask nothing. Okay. <laughs> but but, it, but it is, it's so powerful. I'm going to let him address this. But, man, hear it from the heart of this. This is what it really, really, really comes down to relationships. I mean, man, everything. And I'll share this, and then I'm going to let you answer that. But, but ultimately, um, there's a guy named Chris Dupre. Some of you might know Chris. Chris has written a lot of music. He was an IHOP guy, a uh, close friend. I love Chris. And Chris and I, I was doing a, a school. Uh, we were doing a school on worship, and I had Chris come in as a guest. We go to, uh, we went to Longhorn, and uh, we're sitting at Longhorn, and he tells me we're about to move. We're going to relocate. I won't get into the whole story. But I said, where are you going? And he said, we have two different places in mind. And he told me the two places. And he said, you know, him and Laura are talking, just praying about what they're going to do. And then we went back the next week because he was doing two classes with me. We went back the next week. And I said to him, the first thing I said to him, I said, so what did you and Laura decide? And he told me what they decided. And I said, why did you pick there? And he said, I'm getting older in life. And the older I get, the more I realize life is all about relationships. And, and I felt like what a powerful statement that that is because our relationships are our opportunity to put Jesus on display. So whether that's a dating relationship, whether that's a marriage relationship, whether that's a friendship relationship, it's literally about how do we display the heart, the nature, and the character of God in no matter what scenario we're placed that out with because ultimately the call of God on your life is to look like Jesus. So in every relationship that you have, you have to ask yourself, what does the heart of the Father look like when I put this on display? I know, I believe personally, for me, just for me, I believe, I married Lori, I was 20 years old and she was 18. We have 44 years we're married. And I believe that when I stand before the Lord, one of the questions I'll have to answer is, how did you treat the gift I gave you? Because I believe she was a gift from God. And that's his little girl. And I think that. I take that stuff really serious. She was my gift from God. I need to treat her like a gift. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Can I, can I try and hone it in a little bit more? Yeah. Um, so just like how would you go about 
like wanting wanting to meet new people, but without making it weird, without mm -hmm. there just being weird like motives there. Oh no, yeah, I got I, you. I when you asked yeah. the question, buddy, I was all ready to just okay. jump. Did you <laughs> did you all see me? Did you all see me? I was like ready to ah. <laughs> so you'll have to hone in your question. Okay, your okay. question was honed in enough. This very thing you just said, and this is for the whole room and, and you, Steve, as well. The, what you just said about motives. When I talk about relationship, dating, and things, I found that across the board, it's almost 100%. And I wish it wasn't. And don't let anybody. See, here's what you got to make sure that you're not always just running with the crowd. And be like, well, brother, you got to be relatable. You got to keep it real. Can't get high-minded. No, no. I'm, keeping it real is keeping it Christ. So I want I want to I want to find my life in him. I want to find my life in him and then live it from him. Does that make sense? So in relationships, wouldn't you agree that across the board almost everybody that's pursuing a relationship has a has a level of need behind their drive. A level of need. They have something they need. They're not getting any younger. They're a little older, tired of being alone. Would have thought I was going to have kids by now. There's usually something motivating a relationship or the need for a relationship based on something I need instead of what I've become and what I'm willing to give, right? So your life is only complete in Christ, right? Don, Pastor Don did a great job of the comparable. There's no one comparable with Adam and Eve. He wasn't lonely. He had nowhere to go with the fullness of who he was. He had nowhere to manifest that. He had no outlet of expression. So God is who God is. He has no outlet of expression. What's he do? He makes man in his image. And he multiplies himself and puts himself in a man. That's phenomenal. And then he says, where's man go from here? So he reaches into the fullness of God in the man. He doesn't make another lump of clay. He reaches into the fullness of God in the man and makes what was one two so two could be one. Did you get that? So he didn't make another lump of clay. They're not just two separate. We always say, well, now I understand two separate emotions, two separate wills. But wonder if two people come together out of the fullness and completeness and fulfillment of their life in Christ and decide to be a couple and to decide to get to know each other. And, and they're not doing it because of need and because he makes me feel and I can't believe she likes me. And oh, my gosh, she's so hot. And you know what I'm saying? Because if you bring the need, and need is the only thing that's in the relationship, then need will stay in the relationship, and that will define out into your marriage. And that's where you get hurt. That's where you get let down. That's where you get people crying six months in, this ain't what I thought it would be. This is how you get somebody to look at somebody and say, I don't think I love you anymore. Who knows, guys, that love never fails. That's right. So when you say, I don't think I love you anymore, what you're saying is, I never knew what love was in the first place. What I was actually saying in the first place when I said I love you, I was saying I need you, and whatever I needed then, I don't need anymore, so you've lost value in my sight. Come on, we have psychologically hurt each other being driven by need. And I'm just telling you, dating, man, and everything that's out there, and the ins and the outs, and the who's and who's. See, when you just live your life in Christ, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You just live your life in Christ, and you live out of the fullness of who he is in your life, and you live by the Spirit, you'd be amazed. We just talked downstairs. There's not a textbook on a lot of this stuff. I think we make a mistake when we make it a textbook. It's all about the heart and the motive and the position of the person. So when you're walking your life in Christ, who, who knows that God isn't going to align somebody in your life if he doesn't see who he is in you? 
Who's, who's, who's in leadership? Who does counseling? Who has people come to them for help? Who's ever had, did you ever have a spouse come to you and say, so-and-so just left, or we just, pray that God brings them back. Do you ever hear that one? Can you just pray that God brings them home? I'm like, nah, why don't we just pray that you get formed in Christ? The Lord's not obligated to bring your spouse back. Why would he bring your spouse back to you if he doesn't see him in you? If he doesn't see himself in you, why would he be compelled to bring your spouse back to you? When you get filled with Jesus and God sees who he is in you, he would love to bring your spouse back to him in you. Well, I can feel about half the room is good with this. The other half is like, what? See, because I think we've become foreign with being one with him and living in him and living in Christ. So we're called to live Christ, right? Live, not need Christ, live Christ. Yeah, so what I'm telling you is this. You walk close with God. You stay in communion and fellowship with God. See the value of how he sees you so you can see the value of others. If you see the value of a young woman, you won't need her. You'll love her. You see what I mean? You won't want her. You'll give yourself to her. There's a huge difference between the two. And because we're so pulled into emotions and empathy and, and feelings and feelings are involved, we fall for the counterfeit all the time. That's why people say, I love you. Yeah, I love you. And it gets all sloppy. And then they have a little fallout over something. And they're like, well, I don't think I love you anymore. And then they're away. And then they emotionally reconnect. Oh, my gosh, I've missed you. Yeah, me too. You know, I love you. Really? Yeah. And it's just back and forth. It's just... That's Hollywood. That's messy. Love never fails. So when you find a wife, when you find a girl that you think, uh, I'm going to throw this out real quick. Uh, standards dating, I, I don't like dating. I, I, I don't think you should get to know somebody on a beyond, hey, she's my friend level, if you don't think she could be your wife. You're not test driving nobody. You get to know them on a friendship level. They should be your friend way before they're your partner in relationship. They should be your friend. My, my son, he never wanted to do it. He told me, Dad, I never, I hate it when you preach on this stuff because it was never in my heart. That's what he'd tell me. When he met his wife, that's his wife now, it's the first time he ever acted on what I always had preached. And he came to a place where he wanted to honor her. They made a commitment together to not be emotional, yeah. to not be feely touchy, not spoon on a couch and watch a video. Not just hang out and cuddle. They made a commitment that if we were going to be together, we're going to get to know each other, what God's saying, who God is in us, and read the word together and pray and get to know each other on a spiritual level before we could ever even consider being a marriage. Mm -hmm. They actually had a pretty short engagement. It wasn't because they were burning with passion flesh. They made a decision not to share, express emotions, to kiss. They didn't even cuddle or hold hands. The Bible says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. That doesn't mean, like if he was a woman, he's not. Now he's not. But if he was, that doesn't mean this. It means with desire. You tell me how two people that think they like each other can touch lips without desire. It's absolutely impossible. They made a covenant not to kiss in the wedding ceremonies, we have traditions and things. A lot of them come from Jewish heritage and culture and different things, but, but you'll, you'll see the woman, she'll have a veil. What was she? She was covered. She's coming down the aisle with a veil. Who's walking her down the aisle in the traditional wedding? Father. 
She's under daddy's covering. What's daddy do when he gets her to the front? He unveils her, saying, you're coming out from my covering. Gives her a little kiss on the cheek. They cry, hug, and he goes back to his seat, and she steps up, and the husband's like, whoa, and they do the ceremony. And when the, when the minister marries them and they exchange their vows and covenant together, what's he say? You may now. What's he say? You may now. What's he implying? That you haven't kissed her yet because she was under the covering of her daddy. And now she's unveiled and you're in covenant. And now you guys can come together and you can touch and kiss. Because how can you touch and kiss without expressing desire? And it's not even good to touch a, a woman. In other words, you have no covenant with her. Listen, we're into one night stands in society. We're into sleeping around. I mean, on street talk, you're like, hey, was she a virgin? Hey, did you pop her cherry? That's language that's out there. We've all heard it. And yet God's made something holy and sacred and amazing that flesh and feelings have just totally subverted. So if you really care about somebody, man, honor them. I tell women, you live your life in Christ and become a prize to be won, and you make a draw on Christ in a young man. I had a girl cry to me one day. She said, there ain't no man out there like you're describing. I said, so what? So you compromise, sell cheap, and cry yourself to sleep? Or do you stand firm and become a prize to be won and make a draw on Christ in a man that sees who you are worthy of his surrender? And she said, okay. <laughs> so that's just a nutshell of a two-hour thing that I could do. But listen, it's very rare for me to run into a young couple that didn't already sleep together as Christians. So this is definitely a real issue. Need. Emotions want fulfillment. Who's learned that sleeping together doesn't fulfill anything? <laughs> yeah, I know you're, it's hard to answer me, but I can tell you're all answering me. <laughs> I see the bold ones. <laughs> a man and a woman coming together was intended by God to be an expression of covenant. I and you, you and me, two becoming one. The woman opens herself up, and the man comes in. You can actually find in Hebrews, it's amazing, the sprinkling blood, the veil of the flesh, enter into the holy place. I'm reading that on my bed, and the Lord said, the closest thing you'll ever experience to that in the, in the flesh is union with your wife. And I'm like, what? You look how a woman's created. You look at the hymen. Come on, everything's on purpose. It's not there for happenstance. The hymen gets broke when the marriage is consummated and the man goes into the wife. There's a secretion of blood. There's blood in the semen. They're cutting blood covenant. And we as young teenage boys are trying to pop that thing as a trophy. Oh, I'm just being raw and real. Is that okay? This thing is holy and sacred and intended by God. I've seen a few of those grow back in women that broke and cried and said, oh my gosh, if I knew that, I would have preserved that thing like. And, and on their wedding night, they had a hymen. I have, I have a pastor friend of mine, him and his wife, he was a youth pastor. She just cried and cried and cried because she had slept around with many boys because she, didn't, she needed identity. And when she got saved, she was like, oh. She thought she threw away something precious and priceless. God said, we'll just restore it. Your motives love. Your motives never need. If you're going to be with somebody, make sure that you see yourself being able to be their spouse. At some point, you have to make that decision that this could head somewhere. I would encourage everybody that's dating to communicate. Do we believe this can lead to marriage? 
If you believe it can, then continue to get to know one another. Keep it holy and make sure Jesus is the center. If he's not the center while you're dating, why would he be the center when you're married? Come on, just be real with me. So you ask a hot question for me. Like, no, I, I, I really do have two hours, but I'm just shut my question down. Now my answer down. Thank you. But I think we helped you. Okay, good. Yeah, no, that's good. Sorry. And my, and my son. Yeah, <laughs> I'm recording it right now. My son's 16. This is the perfect thing. So perfect. Thank you. Amen. Um, I can also testify my wife and I, are, our wedding was our first kiss. Yeah. And, um, and that sets a foundation of resilience. We have an international marriage. My wife is German. I'm American. We would have been divorced a number of times if we would have been that week from the very beginning. Yeah. And uh, so it's amazing. My son walked this out with his bride, and he said, Dad, I, I can't even describe the beauty of what we gave ourselves to and how God showed up and intervened and blessed that. See, in the Jewish culture, they would go under a hoopah and consummate their marriage. The hoopah represented the covering or presence of God. In the New Covenant revelation, in the Testament, New Covenant Testament, we should be more aware of the presence of God in our union with our spouse than any orgasm or feeling you've ever had. The presence of God is, should be the awareness. That's how it's designed because it's a spiritual and holy thing. Now listen, you ought to get hungry and go after that with your spouse and start praying together and be in worship and, and kind of come together like that instead of, hey, honey, it's been three days and you're looking pretty good. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so back to my question now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's all good, man. Sorry, man. Question, question. <laughs> Hey, um, you know, we're talking about why and kingdom, right? So my why is Africa should be a first world continent. And I really believe I want to read up, raise up leaders that completely transform the entire African culture, right? Like revival is all aspects of life. And so, mm -hmm. so, I, so I'm thinking like um, I haven't seen personally healthy leadership yet. I, I got saved in a in a cessationist church, and it was tests and all these objective things. You had all these hurdles you had to jump over, and then you could become a pastor. Right. And I've been in the crazy, wacky, charismatic world where if I'm afraid of your anointing, then you don't become a leader. So I haven't seen what it looks like in, in healthy leadership to raise up men. And I'm thinking men like Todd have come up through you guys. You would have gotten a Todd if you hadn't raised up men beforehand. You guys, God honored you with that and with what you're doing. So I want to ask you, what is, what is raising up kingdom men look like? You might have a different answer than, than me or a deeper answer or more. I, I, I'm very simple with that. I can't raise you up if I'm not living that thing. I can't impart what I don't have. I can share principles with you for the rest of my life. I can read every book and be the, 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 the guy that knows all the principles, and I can pass that on to you. Or I can live Christ, and people can see that and get hungry for that and model that. That's actually how I mentored Todd. People think I put Todd in my hip pocket or he lived in my house. I don't even know to this day if I've ever called Todd on my own and initiated a phone call and said, hey, how are you doing today? Todd saw Christ in my life and got hungry for what he saw. 
You can't feed people if they're not hungry. So Todd saw that. Sometimes we're trying to mentor and disciple, and it's more accountability and trying to keep people on track. No, if I need yeah. to keep you on track, you need to look at your heart. I can only disciple you and mentor you. Disciple means a wholehearted follower, a disciplined learner. That's the definition of disciple. Wholehearted follower, disciplined learner. So if you're a wholehearted follower and a disciplined learner, I don't have to ask you if you read your Bible today. That's not mentoring. That's babysitting. Now, I understand there's accountability with drug addiction and things, and sometimes you have to stay on somebody and walk with them and make sure they're right. I get that. But what I had with Todd wasn't what people think. People think that he, he was in my hip pocket and spent every day with me, and I poured into him every day. No, he saw my life, gleaned from my life, saw it was real, and wanted that in his life. So I'd give him little insights along the way. Pursue righteousness. Pursue relationship with God. If you don't get your own understanding of how God sees you, you'll never walk this out. I know you respect me, but listen, what you respect is the Christ in me. He's the same Christ in you. I would always make it about he can live this. He can walk this. See, I've, I've, because I came out so aggressive when I got saved, I saw a lot of miracles out of the gate. I got marked a lot of things. Healing minister, anointed, gifted. You're, so then everybody comes to you. I was the man of faith in my community. So I was getting 10, 12 phone calls a day when I was a couple months old in the Lord to go pray for everybody's loved ones. That shows the church has a deficit. We don't understand we're the body of believers. So the Lord started to tell me, listen, train, equip, and empower. You're not everybody's answer. I am. Come on, we gravitate to ministers. We need anointed people. We're trying to touch the hem of the garment through a person. Yeah. Are you all with me? Yeah. Well, get so-and-so. The river's flowing in him. Well, he sees miracles. Hey, he saw somebody come out of a coma. Get him to pray. And that's what we tend to do in the body of Christ instead of growing the truth. So my idea of mentorship first is I need to live Christ. If I'm going to mentor anybody, it has to be a reality in my life so it's never just a principle. So that you can actually validly see in my life how I carry myself. how I To where you begin to respect what you see in my life. And now I have your ear. Now I have your heart. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so that's important. And that's how Todd and I got connected. I could share a lot of names. I could, I could introduce you to a lot of people that have gleaned from my life over the years. That never lived in my hip pocket. That would actually tell you Dan mentored me. Yeah. Without me actually feeling like I mentored them. Because my life mentored them. Yeah. Are you following what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So there's a lot of programs and good things out there. I'm not against them. I'm not in disagreement with them. But I want to lead you to the person of Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit's going to do in your life what Jesus did for the 12. A lot of discipleship is based around Jesus had 12. We should have 12. Well, Jesus was sending a helper to do in his absence what he would do if he was here. So actually, Holy Spirit is what Jesus was to the 12 to me. Are you guys following me? Yeah. A lot of us are using Jesus' discipleship model as this is what we should all be doing. So if Jesus had 12, we could at least have six. But if we do that and make them get them to follow us, we need to introduce them to the person of Holy Spirit. I need to teach them how to have a relationship, intimacy, hear God's voice, perceive the word. You know what I'm saying? So, so I want to teach people how to live by the Spirit. So Holy Spirit in my life is what Jesus was to the 12. Does that make sense to you guys? So now he's in my life teaching and empowering and training and equipping, and I'm supposed to go make disciples of all men. What a disciple is, it's not a confessing Christian. It's a wholehearted follower and a disciplined learner. Yeah. So if they see that in my life, and that's in the message that I bring, and I'm not just getting them to pray a prayer to go to heaven, who knows, we already have a strong foundation. 
So now we have people understanding. So I think it has to do with the message being clear and being what it really is and the motive being pure and my life being transformed. I can only give you what I have. That's, I'm pretty simple when it comes to discipleship. I actually, I'm not saying this in a, in a popping off way. I, I feel like God, I feel like God has used my life without me trying in, in a way bigger than I can wrap my mind around. And I feel like he's multiplied what he's done in me in a way that's bigger than I can assess. And that's pretty awesome. And I just know that's been a simple thing. But when I think about it, it's pretty overwhelming. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's my idea of discipleship. Just living Christ and people patterning that, gleaning from that and following that. Making myself available. I answered questions for Todd. Probably corrected Todd super strong three times maybe in our whole relationship where it was imperative. One time he said, if you didn't do that, I think I went, went in a really bad way. I said, that's all right. I did that. <laughs> and, but, you know, so, and when I see things, I'll interject. If I, if, I, if, if I was a pastor and you were in my church and I saw something, man, I'd pull you aside and wouldn't hesitate because I know my motive in talking to you. Yeah. It's pure. If I, if I don't love you, I have no authority in God to correct you. But if I love you, he's with me. And I'd pull you in this, and I said, man, I listen, I just heard how you said that and what you and it felt like. Are you sure you weren't? Just talk to me about that. What was it? And you'd talk to me. That's, I, I do that. He does that stuff. He, yeah. Remember how he tracked the guy down in his sermon today? He said, you ain't getting away? That's, that's powerful. That's, that's just yeah. awesome. Yeah. And that's just stuff that happens along the way. It's not necessarily intentional. It's just who we are because he's in our lives. To me, that's discipleship. It can be that simple. Let me touch that just from another, another vantage point if I can. And I love everything Pastor Dan just said, and he's right. In the place of that, I look at Mark 3, right, because Jesus, we talk about Bible school. Jesus had a Bible school, right? Mark 3, 13, he goeth up into a mountain, called unto him whom he would, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him. Right. What did he say? He ordained 12 that they should be with him. What does that look like? Be with me. Proximity. I believe in this era especially, there's more caught than is taught. We're got, it, proximity matters. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it, it's seeing that. So what Dan's talking about is what people have seen on his life, they've now caught that, whether that's by video, whether that's by being around him or whatever. It may not be like a one-on-one, -on -one, like you're with me 24-7. Uh, a year ago, I, I started Harvest Chapel in 97. A year ago, we turned that over. Lori and I turned that over to another couple, Matt and Anna Smith, right? Uh, because they came, they, Matt was with me for eight years before that happened. So he's with me nine years now, right? But for eight years, he just walked beside me. I didn't plan on him taking over the church. But after right. a while, the Lord, it was obvious to me. And I knew that sometime when I'm in my 70s, that would happen. You caught that. Okay. So, so a year ago, right, a, a little over a year ago, so a year ago he took over, so, so it would have been May before that, and the Lord says to me, it's time. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the Lord spoke really loud to me, like it was like later on that same day, and the Lord's like, it's time now. And I'm like, stranger's voice, stranger's voice, la, 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 la. Because <laughs> I'm the happiest pastor on the planet. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I'm super happy. I love doing what I do. I'm pretty decent at it. So, you know, and I'm super happy. And the next morning, the Lord really spoke to me. And he said, it's time. And I said, Lord, I'm not finished. And he said this. He said, fathers don't transition when they're finished. Fathers transition when sons are ready. 
And it was a very powerful word to me because what it was saying is for Matt to become everything he was created to be, I had to step back and actually make room for him. And I don't think we've done transition really well in the body of Christ. I think we've kind of failed do, at doing transition. Most transitions in the body of Christ are forced. There's either a sickness, there's a moral failure, or there's a death. And, and those are the main reasons for transition. So how do we do this healthy? And I think it's the place of just raising up people to actually step into the fullness of who God created them to be. But in order for that to happen, honestly, like for, for Matt to be able to step into that and do that as seamlessly as we were able to, yeah. he, he understood the DNA of the house. He understood the DNA of, of who I was. And, and, and we've shared and we spent time together and we were intentional about spending that time together. And it really created just an incredible thing that we made the transition pretty much seamless. I mean, I told him when, when we make the transition, some people are probably going to leave because they're more used to me than, you know, that my style's different, your style's, he's more of a Bill Johnson's, I'm more of a T.D. Jakes, so, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, and after three months, nobody left. And, and I didn't know whether I should be happy or my ego was hurt and I was sad. I don't know. <laughs> but, 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 but actually, I was thrilled. But in the midst yeah, of all that, sure. watching what God was doing and, and being able to see that. But there's a place where it, it, it really comes... I don't want to say this the wrong way. Like when you talk about these things, because we talk about like a father-son paradigm and all that kind of stuff. But, but man, sometimes I'm going to say this. It's, it sounds harsh and it's really not. I've had so many different people that have told me, man, you have carte blanche to speak into my life. You have, a, you have the authority. Man, you're the spiritual authority in my life. You can speak into my life. And they mean that until you correct them. <laughs> and, and you correct them on, on, on a Monday, and the following week they come in and tell you, yeah, the Lord's moving us. <laughs> you know, like, the Lord told us our time here is finished. You know what I mean? It's like, no, I don't think the Lord did. I think you're, you're, you're living by your feelings, yeah. you know what I mean? But it was something that Dan said that I think is super, super huge, and I do this all the time. The, the people that have been under our leadership, if I... If I just put my arm, my, my hand on your shoulder and say, man, you know I love you, right? <laughs> Immediately they know there's, cor there's correction that's going to come. Immediately following that. But I feel like if you honestly believe that I love you and I care for you, that I only want the highest and best for you, that I'm not trying to manipulate you, I'm not trying to maneuver you, I don't need to get something from you, I just want to help you by speaking into your life, you'll give me that space. But because there's been so many ulterior motives in the body of Christ right. and because leadership's probably been abused in so many places and there's even been clergy abuse, people now become afraid of correction or anything else. When actually, I mean, God's really clear on this. Man, every son he loves, he chastises. You know what I mean? I think chastisement is a proof of sonship. You know what I mean? So I think those things become real and we have to learn, we, we have to learn how to give correction properly, but we also have to learn how to receive correction. And to receive correction humbly and be able to say, hey, man, I'm going to adopt that into my life. And I think that's a place that's maybe missing a lot in the body of Christ as well. But you can't really teach that, can you? Or what, how do you get people to... Simple. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. So if you're that way, they'll be that way. I think, like, back well, to what I'm saying, it's modeling that. It's walking that out. It's, it's, it's actually living that in front right, of them. Right, yeah. Even if they, you see, there's no guarantee. Like, if you're that way, they're going to be that way. You're going to find, see, because if your motive's not pure in this thing, like, I'm doing this because it's Christ. Do you understand? I'm doing this because it's Jesus. Yeah. You see somebody sow into somebody, and then the person goes off AWOL, and the person that was sowing into them gets disheartened, disappointed, says, man, I give all that time, and they look, and they just walk off, and then they don't even want to take anybody under their wing anymore. See, that's taking it personal. That's doing it with strings attached. In other words, there's something in it for you. Mm. 
Like if I'm pastoring and you're saying this and misjudging my heart and you're just and you don't want to reproduce what I'm saying and you take off, man, I'm not happy about that for your sake. I wish you saw different, but I'm not threatened by that. I know what makes me tick. When I look in the mirror, I know my motives. You see what I'm saying? So I ain't getting out of the saddle. I'm going to keep riding into the sunset till this thing is over. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and absolutely. I'm going to be encouraged that whole time. Yeah. So that, because if pastor, if Matt's sitting under him all this time and he's not living this thing, Matt doesn't have anything to glean. That's why I emphasize the importance of living genuine and consistently Christ. Because now he's imparting the best thing he can to Matt is an example of what a pastor looks like in Christ in a daily way over a church. And Matt has the greatest example to pattern. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so our life in Christ, to me, you're not mentoring anybody unless your life is in Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Like a lot of people are trying to do it technically. And I think it's done spiritually. Are you following what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And each seed after its own kind. Look, the heart is an amazing thing. You've got four types of soil listed in the Bible. You got Sometimes I've had people listen to a CD. They didn't want to hear me. Somebody handed them a thing and said, hey, just check this out. And they're like, I ain't listening to that loud mouth preacher. And I don't care what he, no, he ain't telling me what to. And then they listen to it two years later, a year later. They don't even know what they're listening to. I had this story not long ago. She said it was unmarked. And she said the first time she listened to it, she said, I don't need some loud mouth teacher, preacher trying to tell me how to live. And then a year later, she's cleaning the buffet in the hutch, and she found the same thing on the bottom of the stack that she accumulated. And she said, I don't even know what this is. She popped it in, and in five minutes, she's crying. In 15 minutes, she's on her knees and having an encounter with God. A year before, I don't need a loud mouth preacher telling me what. The heart's an amazing thing, and God sows, he waters, he brings increase, he never gives up on people. Yeah? yeah? So, so just stay the course, man. What'd you say? Consistency. What's the words you're hearing all the time? Consistency and and stability, consistency and stability. He said he just keeps hearing it from the Lord over and over. Man, guys, be real with me. If there's one thing we would appreciate and we should put into all our lives is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. On our jobs, we might not have been consistent, but I'll tell you what. If you become consistent, they'll forget the last two years of inconsistency when you live six months of straight-up consistency. You don't say you blew your testimony. You only blow your testimony if you don't get, keep, get back up and keep going, Right? But I'm telling you, if people see consistency in time, they'll forget. The, they'll, they'll point to the inconsistency in the beginning. But in time, they'll forget the inconsistency because what's been in front of them is somebody that's changed, somebody that's living this thing. Yeah. And I had that privilege in my workplace. And I walked that out. I worked two secular jobs since I've been saved, apart from full-time ministry. Two secular jobs. And, man, I can honestly tell you, because of my life in Christ, it was a blast. And I used to hate to go to work before I was saved. And then when I got saved, I couldn't wait to go to work. Because it was a fun journey, man. I just had a great time at work. You see what I'm saying? Because I got to live Christ. It was my mission field. It wasn't my job. It was my mission field. And I got paid to go manifest Christ. You know, it was just fun. So, yeah. Yep, you bet, man. Um, so I have a question kind of practically about day-to-day -day relationships, specifically in marriage. Um, as a wife, my heart, my desire is to be submitted to my husband. Like To me, that's submitting to the Lord and to be tenderly devoted. But I want to walk this practically, like being love, living love, and responding in love. Um, and I'm wondering, like, in the moments where correction comes from my spouse or, or even or he gets into selfishness, how to discern that and not be grayed out and all of a sudden start 
like fixing my mind instead on Christ and what he says instead of just getting grayed out and saying, oh, I, like, I find that I have that tension when, it, when I want to live it out um, and yield to, yeah. So I don't know if you guys have any tips of discernment and de- determining what it looks like practically. I'll, I'll tell you a story and then I'll let Dan preach to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at home and, and my phone rings. This is a couple years back. My phone rings. And because of the caller ID, I know who's calling me. And it's a lady that I'm friends with. And, and I, I said, hey, hon, what's up? And, and she's vehemently crying, so strong that I don't even know what she, I can't make out one word she's saying. And I gave her a moment. I said, honey, I pull yourself together. What's going on? Because I'm thinking somebody died. This is something terrible. And, and she says, how, how can he do this to me? How can he do it? And I'm like, oh, okay, something's going on. And she begins, and through a series of sobs and tears and emotion, she begins to tell me that she went to the computer to turn it off. She hit a button, and up pops a pornography screen. And she goes through, and she sees her husband's into all this pornography. And it's a, it's a lot. And so how can he do this to me? How can he do this to our family? How can he do this to our kids? How can he do this to our marriage? And, and she's mad. And I mean, it's a, and you can hear it all. And after a little bit, I let her go on for a little bit because I knew she was venting. And I said, are you done yet? And I said it just like that. And, and uh, that's not who I am. I'm really the gentle, loving guy. <laughs> So, so I, she knew that was way out of character. And she said, what do you mean? And she's still like a, a lot of emotion. I said, okay, are you done? Are you done now? And she said, what do you mean? I'm <laughs> making her mad on purpose. And she says, I, what do you mean by that? And I said, hey, stop. I said, you're talking to me like you're a woman in trouble. And you're not a woman in trouble. You're a woman who's married to a man who's in trouble. Do you understand the difference in those two statements, right? Come on, man. Because here's the reality. When somebody does us wrong, we have two choices. You can either get hurt by them or you can hurt for them, but you can't do both. Do you understand what I just said? So there's a place up. She's got to take everything that she's feeling and realize, man, my husband is really in trouble. And he needs God to intervene in his life so he can become who God created him to be. Because right now he's living outside of that parameter. If I can see through a kingdom lens, that's what I'm going to see right there. I'm not in trouble. My husband's in trouble. What can we do to help my husband, not how can he do this to me? Does that make sense? Yeah. Preach. No, that's exactly where I was going to take her. I knew uh, it. No, exactly. <laughs> because when somebody's living, like if you recognize their self-centeredness and his motive or something, it's not time. Like a lot of spouses want to call that and say, you know, you're just being selfish right now. And you know, God didn't make us to be selfish, and they think they're preaching, and it just make your spouse infuriated when their heart's not going after God. So you're not there to preach, but don't try to do the work of Holy Spirit. You just walk out Jesus and let Holy Spirit do the work of Holy Spirit. So when your husband's doing that stuff, you know, you want to be, be in prayer. There's not a textbook, unfortunately, for, well, do this, do this, do this. That's where you have to have identity secure. You're not living to be encouraged by your husband. You're encouraged in the Lord, and you want to love your husband in Christ, right? And that's your sincere heart. I could hear that in your question. So you'll find grace in this thing. So when he finds himself in that place, yield, yield, uh, submit to your husband. It actually means yield and adapt yourself to your own husband as you would to the Lord. So it doesn't mean you're a servant. It doesn't mean you're subject and a slave. Like a lot of people meet, think submit means, you know, you're beat down and you're in this low position. It simply means yield and adapt yourself to your own husband. When it says husband, you're the head of the home. It means the protector and the overseer. 
It doesn't mean the boss. <laughs> so as a wife, what you want to do is yield and adapt yourself as you would to the Lord. So you see your husband doing something like this, and, and you look for a kind response. A kind response is going to turn away a harsh response. You don't overcome evil with evil. You repay evil with good. Uh, you just said in your heart that you want to love him through this. When pastor said, uh, you, you got two choices. You can hurt for him or you can hurt because of him. Most time we hurt because of. Love hurts for. So if my husband was really the man that, and saw who he was and the man that he was created to be and was really walking close to God, he wouldn't be living this way right now. That should matter to us as friends, as spouses, in relationships, rather than, boy, he sure gets on my nerves. Well, I don't even know why I hang out with her. She's so, you know what people do? Instead of, man, if they're living that way, it just reveals there's a deficit. So to give you a, a practical, it would be never reacting. Don't fuel a fire that you've been praying to go out. And don't try to do the work of Holy Spirit. So love is amazing. Like the Bible says that you as a woman, don't win your husband with the outward adorning. Don't, don't, don't just dress yourself all up and try to win him with that. This is you can win your husband by the gentle, inward, quiet, inward person of the heart, which is pleasing in the sight of God. You can win your husband without a word. Now, I know I'm not being mean to you women. I know there's a lot of spouses that got a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't it be amazing for you to just like be humble and take the low seat at times because you see your husband struggling and just understand, boy, he's struggling or he must be going through this or this is reaction. You can't take a person when it's not a reflection of you. He's struggling. He's in trouble. And he'll give you the ability to just love him without enabling him. You love him. Understand him. Listen, honey, I don't know what happened today. And Look, I can see. Listen, I just, you might want to just hug him. Your flesh might say, don't do hug him. He's just being smart to you. But you end up, you hug him or something. It's just something works out like that. You walk away and watch. This is what I mean by not playing the part of Holy Spirit. You don't try to always preach to him and set him straight. Just love him. Learn how to love him. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just convicts him. And he realizes, man, I was being mean to her, and she didn't deserve that. Man, I was, all of a sudden, he's starting to get his own convictions. You know what I mean? I've had spouses that I've pastored. They, they come to me about stuff like this, and I, I tell them, I can't give you a step one, two, three, but I can give you motive and purpose. And, and their spouse will end up coming to them crying or something and saying, you know, for like three years now, I realize I've been. And they're like, oh. And, and now they're not like, yes, yes, yeah. They actually are breaking because their spouse is getting it. And they, they, they're just like, you know what I mean? It's not like, finally. You know what I'm saying? So because their heart got so engaged and it was so pure that when their husband finally broke or their wife finally broke, it was like they were so happy for them. It wasn't like, I finally got the victory. Because when it's all about you, you'll feel, I finally got the victory. When it's all about your spouse, it's like, wow, they're getting it. You see the difference? So just stay sharp on your motive and always ask your heart what's making you tick. We're supposed to have the same mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Yeah? No reputation, lay down your glory, make yourself a no, nobody owes you a thing. You owe no man anything but to love. That's the best I can help you with that. Okay. My question is, what does it mean for God to discipline those he loves? What is an example of that, or like, what does that look like? 
You mean like where it says chastising? And, yeah, if, I think you can find the word instruction there. Instruction. He instructs. It doesn't mean he breaks your leg because you're on a road you shouldn't be on, so he snaps your leg to get your attention. I actually don't know my father like that. <laughs> I know some preachers preach him like that. But uh, you say, you know, well, God did this to me because I... No, he doesn't here to steal, kill, and destroy. He gives life. He's instructing. Who's ever, who's ever had convictions uh, in the middle, out of nowhere, where you second-guessed something you were doing, and you thought, man, and you rethought it, right? And you might not even been thinking about the Lord, but that was there. That's just God. Before you were saved, who's had that? When you were, uh, who's ever walked away from God or took a while to come to God but was convicted and you couldn't live without being aware of where your life was. You see what I mean? It just never left you alone. Or you had something you were feeling like you should deal with, but you never dealt with it, and it would never leave you alone. And about 20 times a day, you were aware of the fact that. You see what I'm saying? So that's the Lord. If he ever turned that off, I just believe that's his love that never fails. If he ever turned that off, we'd just walk off the cliff. Like brute beast, but sheer instinct into destruction. So the chastising, the discipline, I believe it's instruction. I believe it's conviction. I believe it's showing you another way, which is the way. It's, it's him fathering you. I don't think it's him, well, I don't believe at all it's him just causing you hardship. I have seen him back off, even in my own life, if you're living in a certain way and let some repercussions start coming, some fruit of your own actions without intervening. In fact, if you look at scripture, God won't even stop the enemy. Sometimes the enemy comes, the word is preached and Satan comes for the word's sake. And sometimes if need be, you go through various trials. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want the word to ever become life to you. And God says, look, I gave them everything necessary to win this battle. And if they get through this battle, this will become life to them. And sometimes God will just sit back and he won't make the thing go away. He didn't put Shadrach's fire out. Are you with me? He'll let you walk through some stuff. But the chastising, it's, it, he doesn't create that stuff. And I, I don't believe theologically can prove to me a New Testament that he creates that stuff, and I just believe it's simple instruction, always giving you the answer and a way of escaping a way out. And here's the other good thing about hardship while I'm on it. He never allows you to be tempted more than you can bear. So if you're in it, he knows you can get through it. And he gave you enough to walk through it. If you're in it, you're not overwhelmed by it unless you fall into the trap of believing that. Because he will never allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. So he must know he gave you the ability to walk through whatever you're in. Or you wouldn't be in it. Are you with me? Boy, that's just a good thought right there if you'll grab that. Then you'll never get tricked into feeling sorry for yourself or believing overwhelmed or over your head. Or this is too much. Who's ever got tricked by those feelings and emotions, right? But he'll never allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. And he always provides a way of escape. But that's just my simple answer. You find yourself in a conversation, there's a couple of girls, you walk into the conversation that's already going, and you hear them talking, and maybe they're talking not so nice about another person, and you found yourself now in the midst of that circle, right? And you know some stuff about that person. So there's a part of you that wants to almost join the conversation to become a part of it, 
and but what you feel like you have to share isn't helping it's actually it's not going to lift that person up it's actually going to help tear them down because you got some juicy stuff and you like then all of a sudden that part like oh I know this about her oh I could tell them some stuff and, and you realize you to do that you're only adding fuel to that fire and it's not it's not kingdom it's not right and you get that thump on your heart you know what that thump is that's the Holy Spirit correcting you right there and he's just simply saying don't do it don't go there and then they start talking and you should walk away from the conversation but man it's like oh I could really add to this you know and and maybe that person even did you wrong and it's and and the Holy Spirit's just thumping your heart I don't know what else to call that I call it the Holy Spirit thump and then even when you if you start to even think about sharing the thump got a lot harder <laughs> you know what I'm talking about and there's that place where I believe that's as many as he loves he's 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 correcting there's there's instruction walk away do not do this you know what I mean and there's a place where you have to really Ephesians comes to mind and he said maybe it's first Corinthians 6 have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them you know what I mean? There's a place of, wait a minute, man, maybe we shouldn't be talking like this. Maybe what we ought to be able to do is say, how can we bless her? How can we help her and lift her to the highest and best possible place? That's not going to make you popular in them circles, but it's going to make you right. And that's following the leading, the guidance, and the direction of the Holy Spirit, because that's when he's correcting us and bringing us into right thinking. And I think that's a place of just staying in right thinking and keeping your heart posture. Because above everything else, man, never sacrifice the posture of your heart to be popular with the crowd. Yeah. Hey, can I uh, flip the story on you, what he just shared? Let's just say you added to the juicy stuff. Let's just say you actually didn't follow your conviction and you, you actually fed the fire. The chastening of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, that would be you not being able to escape that at nighttime. God just really, man, and you know him better and giving you the ability, the opportunity, the wisdom to set it right. You see what I mean? Because he loves you. He wants to prove you as a child of his, right? So even if you cross that line and did that, which we're saying don't ever do that. But let's just say even then the chastising of the Lord is the same principle. It's him hitting your conscience hard, you laying in bed at night, and not being able to escape the fact that, you know what? I just fueled an unrighteous fire I should have never fueled. I could have put that out. And I actually added, and all of a sudden you're calling a person or you're making amends. or You're, you know what I'm saying? That's just God walking you through how to set it straight. Let me bring you into a New Testament understanding now. If that would be the position, right? First of all, I want to make it right with the girl we were talking about. Listen, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I was with a couple other girls. They were, they were saying some things, and I added to it. Man, I should have never done that. But it's not just going to her. It's actually going to the other two mm -hmm. and saying, I'm sorry that I joined in on the conversation because the truth of the matter is none of us should have been in that place. Right? What's happening now, we're actually Seven bringing straight. them to a place of, wow, we all did wrong. And I'm repenting. It's up to you what you want to do with that. But you're giving them the example of, man, we did wrong. Do you understand why? Because I think we need to put some of that stuff out in the body of Christ. Big time. Good. How long did it take you to, sorry, to know Jesus? Wow, what a question. It's you. <laughs> Still working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I know what you mean, though. You're, you're talking about just knowing that he's real, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he cares. We're always growing and knowing him. Even Paul said that I might know him, right? But uh, the whole reason I got saved, young man, this is your question's got me to emotions, because I grew up in church. 
I went to church probably till I was 18 because of my mom. She was going to make me go to church. <laughs> and I was up early every morning. I was out in the outdoors. I was running. I was fishing. Before the sun was up, I was rarely in bed. I was one of them different kind of youngsters. And then when it was Sunday, I was laying there acting like I was sleeping. And snoring is true. She'd come in the room and say, boy, don't you even act like you're sleeping. You are never sleeping at this hour. I'd be like... <laughs> She said, get up, you're going to church, don't even do this. So she, and she mixed it up. We went to about four different churches in my childhood. Just, she was just trying to keep me interested, right? So my whole life, I would have said, I would have said that I was a Christian because of my church background and my VBS summers and, and my youth group days, 16, 17, and 18. I was 33 and the Lord came to me at work, and in my mind, just spoke a thought. It just sounded like a thought like we all get every day. It was just a thought. You don't even know if God is really real. I'm so glad he didn't say, when's the last time you read your Bible? Haven't heard you pray for a while. Man, when you been in church last? He just said, you don't even know if God's real. So I had a, an encounter with God where he challenged that I had no God reality, but I had a Christian confession. And that he wanted me to know him. So what I did was, I yielded. And this is what he was waiting for me. And if, and if we'll do this, if you'll do this, if everybody listening will do this, you'll know that he is very quickly. Because your spirit, his spirit will bear witness with your spirit. And he'll give you that knowing. Now there's a process of continuing to grow in the Lord. But knowing that he's real, it comes through, I believe, our surrender and sacrifice. I'm coming to God and I said this. I said, if you're real. You love me and forgive me and have a plan for my life. I'll live for you. And, and it wasn't a, I wasn't manipulating him. What I was saying is, man, if you're who you say you are, my life is yours. And see, that's what I realized now he was waiting for the whole time. So when I yielded myself to him, so I didn't come to him so my marriage would get fixed. I didn't come to him so I didn't go to hell. I didn't come to him so he gives me a promotion. I came to him because I wanted to know him if he was real. And when I came to him to know him and gave myself to him, he revealed himself to me. And from that point on, I just took that revelation of, whew, and all I can tell you is he just opened my heart. He's real. And I just began to pursue the one I knew was real. So I read my Bible. Nobody had to tell me to. I prayed all the time. And I mean, my heart just came alive in Jesus, if you know what I mean. So as a young man, how old are you? 14. What a question. You go home at night when it's nighttime. You're just wherever you are. You can always have this with God. You don't set a date. You don't have to have an appointment. You can always have communion with God. But I see you doing this and I would love you to do this. I see you at nighttime. For some reason, I'm just focusing on nighttime, bedtime, and you just chilling in your room. And instead of doing all the other things you could maybe do to pass time or to close out the day, sit on your bed and start talking to him. Okay, there you go. Ask him to reveal himself and, and ask him to begin to do in your heart everything he paid for and has desired. As you read the Bible, start asking Holy Spirit for understanding. And I'd stay in, I'd stay in New Testament stuff. I'd read the words of Jesus, but I'd probably stay in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm just kind of just sharing out of my heart that I think that would be healthy for you to read. And as you read those chapters... 
and they start speaking something to your heart, talk to God about that and learn how to take his word, which is him and it's alive, and take it back to him and commune and have conversation and open yourself up to what he's saying. And as you release in faith in his word, grace will come to make that word your reality. And all of a sudden, you're saved by grace through believing. Does that make sense? Yes. And all of a sudden, somebody will say, man, how did you get to know him like this? And you'll just smile and say, because I've been with him. You see what I mean? Yeah. So nobody's going to know him without being with him. If I didn't ever hang out with Pastor Don, I'd just know his name. You wouldn't be married if you didn't hang out and get to know each other. I had a neighbor almost the whole time I lived at home named Ann. I talked about her over the years. She's passed now. But if I never knocked on her door and looked in her eyes and said, hi, all I'd know is I got this elderly lady that lives beside me that wears a red jacket, drives a red car, loves McDonald's coffee, and gets her hair done on Friday. And I could observe her long enough to talk about her for a while. But until I meet her and talk to her and we exchange, I can't tell you I know her. Knowing about him and knowing him is two totally different things. So keep getting to know him, son. Amen? Thank Amen. Thank Amen. Um, <clears throat> my question is, I wrote down, but I'm just trying to figure out, just cut right through it. But, you know, I've got kids all younger than teens and Obviously, I want them to have that, that heart, that desire, and, uh, but I don't want to force it on them. But, so I guess my question is, as, as, the, as the father in the situation, how do I give them that instruction without it going into legalism? Because I see something that's, if they continue in that way, and it's not going to be good for them. Or... Even now, it's like they don't want to do anything of their own volition for God. They'll go to church because we'll, we'll, we'll go, but it's not coming out of their heart. You want to address it? Sure. I, I love where you're at because we face a lot of this, especially in today's society with so many sports things and so many other opportunities. When I'm, when I'm 15, 14, 13 years old, Sports were Saturday. Sports were never even on a Sunday. Some of us that are my age, you remember, that wasn't even had, nor was it Wednesday night because there was Wednesday night church, there was Sunday church, and they never bothered with that. Now, man, everything's everywhere, and it's free game all over, and, and there's a lot of requirements put on kids, and for whatever reason, our kids got to be involved in seven different things all at the same time, you know, so, so it's really a hard, it's, it's a hard challenge, and you're saying, where do we draw lines? And I'm probably... I'm probably that guy that's going to be a little more tough. But my thought is this, man. When, when, when church becomes an option to be exercised or not, we put ourselves in grave danger. Because what we just said is it's not really the most important. I live in a world of the main thing needs to stay the main thing. And the main, honestly, man, the main thing is that my, listen, man, it'd be awesome if my kid's in sports and he's going to get this scholarship and become a professional. And usually about one half of 1% makes that. You know what I mean? That's pretty much not the normal. That's really, really the exception. But I will promise you that 100% of our kids will stand before God one day. So everything else is secondary. That's what's the most important thing. 
and I know that sometimes even when we're talking to our kids about, listen, man, I need you in your devotional time, right? And they say, oh, that's legalism. No, that's discipline. And there's a difference between disciplines and legalisms. I want my kids to have the disciplines. I, I, I'm not worried about legalisms. This is just basic disciplines of the faith. That's normal. That's, that should be considered normal Christianity 101. So encouraging our kids for devotions, encouraging our kids to spend time, even if we pray together as a family, which I think more families need to pray together. Um, <laughs> there's a phrase that says, if every family had an altar, it would alter the family. And I think that's a great phrase, you know what I mean? But what if, what if we actually had that, you know? And, and we look at that, and, and is there a place? What does that look like? Because, because it's not become normal, all of a sudden now our kids are ganging up on us. They say, well, our family doesn't do it. And, you know, we've got to get to that point where my grandpa was, where I don't care what everybody else's friends do. <laughs> you know what I mean? My mom told me, if your friends all jump off a bridge, you're going to jump off a bridge. You know, we all, we all had that mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the idea behind it is, is that, man, is there a place where it's not an option? This is just normal. You know what I mean? And, and that that would be because, and again, for Laura and I, we, we raised two kids. We've got three grandkids now. But the kids we raised, they knew no, it wasn't even a question to ask. You know what I mean? Um, I'm raised Roman Catholic, right? So I, I, for the first 18 years of my life, I'm Roman Catholic. Well, they had this they had the big deal going on because you had venial sins and mortal sins. And venial sins were little, but mortal sins were big. And missing church, that was mortal. You were going straight to hell, okay? Purgatory wasn't even an option at that moment, okay? So, so you know, you had your holy day of obligations, you know. It means I told people, I said, man, I'm a kid. I had a drug problem. My mom drugged me to church every week, okay? okay? So it's like, wasn't an option, you know? Um, but I thank God for the discipline that it actually put in my life so that that never even changed. Even though my relationship with Jesus became very, very real because it wasn't there, but then it did. I already had that habit formed in my life. Does that make any sense? So, so I think the disciplines and that kind of stuff, it, 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 when, once we leave that to be an option, to be exercised or not, we're opening the door to all kind of pandemonium. That's right. just my personal feeling. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's good. Uh, I, I do... And I'm not, I'm, I'm, when I say however, I, we, I, I brought my children up that way. Like, like we're just, my house, we're going we're gonna to go after God. And I called them to a standard. Uh, I can't make them love God. I can't make them want God, but I can live Christ. Now, the, the, the deception out there is that we think if I'm living Christ purposely, everybody's, or flawlessly, everybody's going to just melt and fall down and want Jesus. Like, and you got to understand that when I got saved, I got saved. I, I'm sitting here talking to you guys. I don't have one conviction that I, I could have sharpened something or could have gave more. I wanted Jesus. I wanted Jesus for my wife, my family. I, I don't know of compromising. I don't know of, I've just lived Jesus since I've been, but my wife got tricked with a thought, compared herself to me, thought that people loved her, or said hi to her because they loved me. That's a good way to lose your identity. Then my kids started to have their own struggles because everybody's individuals and they all have to get to know Jesus, right? So my place, somebody handed me a book when my wife was going through her eight-year thing. Somebody handed me a book, uh, How to Recognize a True Man of God. That's what the title said. And underneath it said, Take a Look at the Countenance of His Wife. Well, that's the most deceived title on the planet. So in other words, if I was really a man of God, my wife is going to be head over heels 
in love with God because I'm living Christ and loving her flawlessly. No, my wife has her own individual identity crisis and feels like people are saying hi to her rhetorically because they love me and don't really care about her. So I, it doesn't matter how much Jesus I'm living, the lie is dominating her life. It didn't matter how much Jesus I was living. When you're in a family and people aren't hungry for God and you're hungry for God, there's opposition. There's, they, they actually, my, my, both my children would tell you there was a time in their teenage years where they despised the fact that they were my children. And I was living Jesus, getting invited to churches, seeing miracles, and had nothing but love for everybody and my kids. But because they felt pressured by my life, because they felt like now because I'm this, they got to be something. Everybody's looking at them, expecting them to fulfill my shoes. My son's coming over to this undue pressure. So it didn't matter how much Jesus I lived, it made it look like it was making them run all the more away. You know what I mean? But when I had a voice in their life and when I, when I had access to them at their years when they were under my roof and young enough and in my home, here's what I knew. If I train them in the way they should go, they won't depart. I'm not going to let that make my heart hard. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to feel like everybody's ganging up on me. Man, I'm, nobody owes me nothing. I'm waking up to shine, period. You get what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, there was a season in my life where it looked like somebody threw a bomb in my family and everything blew up but where I was standing on Christ. My wife was on the, off the deep end. My kids were running crazy. It looked like I couldn't steward my own home. It looked like, like everything was, but what was happening was I was getting a revelation of everything you see me preach to you with passion. And I wasn't letting one thing that was going on change the truth of why I woke up every morning. So if I couldn't hug my kids, I'd hug your kids. I wouldn't say, God, I can't believe I can't hug my kids. God, what am I doing wrong? What's the big deal? When I wasn't saved and mean, they all ran from me. Now I'm saved and want to love them, and they still run from me. <laughs> and make it all about me. Now, I can tell you today, my wife absolutely loves me. She's been, she's been delivered and free from that eight-year season for a long time. My wife values me. She would jump in front of a truck to save me. My wife knows I'm a man of God. My children know I'm a man of God. We taught them the way they should go. And when they grew old, they didn't depart. You've got to understand that everybody's working out their own salvation. Everybody has to carry their own heavy load. Everybody has to deal with and sort out the challenges, the traps, and the things going on in their own mind and emotion. My place is to give them the greatest example to follow, whether they follow, whether they feel like they're appreciating it in the moment or not. Because at one time, they might be able to look back on it and say, now I know what God, dad was doing. Now I, now I see what dad meant. Oh, my gosh. Now I, and they can learn to value what you modeled. You see what I'm saying? But did I put parameters on them? Yeah, we did family time. Yeah, we all gathered in the living room, and I read scripture, and we prayed together, even if they acted like they were sleeping. You see what I'm saying? Because I wanted them to know that this dad was surrendered to Jesus, and he's king. And just because their hearts weren't totally surrendered, it seemed like it made them go sometimes. You see what I mean? My, both my children would tell you there was a time they despised the fact that they were my children and they were upset that I was their dad. Christians that love me, people that listen to me, preach, I can't even imagine that. I wish you were my dad. Well, it's easy for you to say because of where your heart is. But you were, if, if you were in their shoes, you'd have probably felt like they did. Because I wasn't real easy to live with if you weren't surrendered. I'm, I'm walking through the house just singing. 
I'm praying and reading all the time. I'm in the bathroom and I'm praying in tongues. And if you ain't hungry for God and I'm constantly living like that and around you like that. So they, they all came together, teamed up. I don't expose this stuff a lot of time. But they all teamed up and told me to stop doing that because I was only doing that to make them feel bad. And like they should, they were saying, you're only reading your Bible to say, Do you, did you guys read your Bible? I never once opened my Bible to, to, to convict them that they read their Bible. But when you're insecure, you believe that stuff. When you should go. So I had a lot of challenges like you're talking about. More than anybody has. Any, I've only spoke about a half, a little piece of the challenges I've been through in my own family and life and home. Man, there was a time where they couldn't run fast enough to get away from me. And all I wanted to do was live Jesus and love them. It's just because of where their hearts were. It's not because I was doing anything wrong. So I was laying on my bed one day and this is what the Lord said to me. I was crying a little bit. I wanted to know how I could father my children better, and God, you know, and, and he said to me, he said, Dan, it's not always a father issue, and I was like, okay, I need that. He said, it's a lack of sonship and belonging, okay? He said, do you believe I need a parenting program? I said, that's silly. No. He said, do you believe I'm the best father that's ever been and ever will be? I said, that's an absolute yes. He said, then why isn't everybody running to my lap to sit? He said, if you can't hug your children right now in this season, hug everybody's child that'll let you. He said, go, this is, this is hard to preach in America because we are, we are a certain way with our family and our own and our homes. But watch what the Lord said to me on my bed. He said, you go hug them neighbor kids next door and don't think for a second they have one bit less value than your own kids. He said, they're all the same to me. You go love the world around you. So what he wanted me to do is not get hung up and lose my identity over the choices my family was making, but to stay secure in Christ and stay on course and keep living what I'm anointed for and not let what looked like a setback be a setback. And continue in Christ. My son's doing great. My daughter's doing great. My wife loves me with her life and she owes me nothing. My wife really honors me. My family's doing incredible. Why? Because Jesus is the same all the way through. You get it? If I'd a tailspun, if I'd a collapsed, if I'd a took them personal, I probably wouldn't have that testimony today. So if I'm living in a temporal space of time, I'm probably going to get deceived. If I'm living for that day, I'm probably going to run well. Are you all with me? See, when I tell you these things, you see why I'm so passionate about the topic. Because it's not my principal theory or sermon. It's what I've walked through for a very long time. And I feel like I've had the time of my life. And I wouldn't trade any of it in. Because it helped work things in me that I know are true. Are you with me? Can I help you with that just a second, yeah, too? Yeah, please. Only because we've been running together for a lot of years. So I can tell you that I have a very personal relationship with his wife, his daughter, and his son. I've watched all those stories play out. Remember the scripture that we just quoted from Proverbs 22, train up a child. What's it say? In the way he should go. What's the next part? Sometimes when they're off the trail, you just got to realize they're not old yet. 
what's your job? The two words come back to consistency and stability. If this man is not consistent and stable in what he's saying, preaching, and doing, if he vacillates back and forth, if he's up and down or moved by emotions or moved by their feelings, his, his whole family will be shipwrecked. I promise Ooh. you they would have been shipwrecked, especially Daniel. But, <laughs> but, totally. but, but, but totally the whole thing come down to steadfast, unmovable, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the key. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, I think you pretty much answered my question. That's what I was going to talk about was uh, just what do we do with our prodigal children? And uh, the scripture that I had, which I think, again, you've already answered, it says anyone who has left their house or their brother, their sister, their father, mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And like you said, you know, to, to love other people's kids. Um, I guess just in the society that we're in right now with there's so much homosexuality and transgender and, and all the dynamic of, you know, light and darkness, there's this big abyss in the middle. And it's like seeing our kids kind of falling into that. And as Christians wanting to say, I love you, but that lifestyle is not okay in my home or, you know, bringing a homosexual partner into your home and wanting to be affectionate and drawing boundaries and because of that, you know, them, you know, just blocking you off or not talking to you and stuff right. like that. So just kind of how do we deal with our society and our children and how far they're getting from God to be able to love them but hate the sin? And, yeah, I didn't know if you had any insight into yeah. that. No, that's, it's, it's real stuff. The tears are real. Uh, if you can find a way to direct those tears into... Uh, just a true sense of faith, God's love for your child. Uh, I've watched countless parents lose their identity. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. Just making a comment. I've seen countless parents lose their identity when their children make a wrong turn. It's because they're finding themselves in their children. And they believe their children are a direct reflection of them. They're quick to think they failed in parenting. Parents are quick to feel like they're condemned and did something wrong. And if we'd have done better, they wouldn't be this way. You could do everything well, and they could still do that. The prodigal son story, it's really a story of an amazing father. If you didn't have the father, you wouldn't have the story. Yeah. You just have another son that ran off. <laughs> and if you didn't have the father, you'd have nowhere for him to return, right? But I don't get the idea in that story that the son had a bad upbringing. In fact, he had everything that was in the father's house, and his father gave him his inheritance to everything, and he just ran off and lived it lasciviously. Was that story any reflection of the father? It's a reflection of where the son's heart was that needed changed. What changed the son's heart? When the father loved him, period. No matter what he did with the inheritance, it wasn't even about the inheritance. It wasn't about where you've been and what you've done, and I trusted you, and I can't believe it, now you are. It was just my son has returned. That parable, that story is the story of who the father is and who we're called to be. So what I tell parents all the time is don't lose your identity and fall apart and cry yourself to sleep at night and call that prayer. Wrap faith around a vision for your child 
and speak that out of your heart. And make sure, here's a good sign when you're letting what you're going through take over who you are in Christ. When it dictates your disposition, your productivity, your countenance. Now you can get in denial and try to portray all those things, but that's denial. I'm not talking about denial. I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about you having a faith vision for your child, no matter what arena they're in and what it looks like and what they said and how they've cut you off. Father, I just believe they're the fruit of my womb. You have a destiny on their life, no matter what they feel, think, or and even how they feel about me right now. God, I just believe your voice is speaking. I believe your love is never failing, and I believe it's far-reaching. And I thank you this isn't under destruction, but God, you are going to reach and minister to my child some way, shape, or form, because that's just who you are. And I wrap my confidence in your love for them. Thank you. And you just ask him for wisdom on how to conduct yourself in the process, et cetera, et cetera. But make it all about living Christ and believe that he's the redeemer of your child. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And then you go to work and you're not going to work looking like a woman in duress that has a child in this arena. And now that's your story. And now you're crying a lot and you have nothing. And you got people all around you that and then they don't even have Jesus. And now it's just conversations. Nobody can give you wisdom and you're just part of the crowd. Versus going to work and nobody even really knows what you're in because that's not what's making you tick. You're in faith for this, but this is why you're alive. That's how you stay productive in the middle of challenges. My church left me pastor the whole time and my wife, I was a full-time pastor. So Jim, it would be like Mary not ever coming to church just because she's got beliefs, feelings, and you're here pastoring and she ain't coming to church. My church never pressured me, never said, what's wrong with your wife? What's going on? What's going on with your kids? They saw that I didn't change ever one bit. And they saw I was in faith and I was modeling Christ like I always modeled Christ. So they never even questioned anything and just left me continue to pastor. That's pretty incredible. Because they said, we see you're in faith for whatever's going on. And I said, well, if you have any heart to pray for my family, just do that. But Jesus is Lord. And I just kept living Jesus. Yeah. If I'd have thought about it for a minute, I'd have probably had reasons to feel sorry for myself, get upset, be mad at her, be mad at them, think Jesus wants to do all this stuff. And look at you, you guys, blah, 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 blah. Could have got caught in rightness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't even want that to be an option. Yeah. I just want to wake up and shine. Yeah. So be in faith for your child. Wrap a faith vision around and declare it to the Lord and leave it there. Yes. I, I, I don't know how you feel about this. We've never really talked about this. And you can, you can share and you can correct me if you feel like you need to, but I don't, yeah, fix it if you need to. I don't feel like crying every night and crying yourself to sleep and calling out your child's name. And I don't, calling that prayer and intercession, I don't actually believe that is. I believe that's dominating your soul and what your child's decision has been has become your world. And I just believe faith is bigger than that. But I think there's a... There's probably difference of just longing for the relationship. Totally, you know, totally. It's like losing someone. Who's, feel, yeah. It's like losing someone. You, 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 Paul doesn't deny the sorrow of death and, and physical loss. Who knows physical loss is real? So if you cry because you lose someone, look, we, we, we just don't grieve as if we have no hope. Yes. He didn't say we don't grieve. We just don't grieve to where it cost us our hope. And now we lost a loved one, so we quit. We don't even pray anymore. Because God let them die, and if they die, well, what's the use? I ain't going on. You know, your child's running like that. It's, it's, it's not that you don't long for the relationship, but you don't do it without hope. Because yes. hope is where faith is found, and hope's the anchor of your soul that enters into the presence of God through that veil, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. I hope I'm making sense.
It's not about denial. It's not trying to be okay. You know what I found in my life when I lived this way? Most Christians around me were telling me, hey, you know it's okay to hurt. Hey, you know it's okay to hurt. And I wasn't hurting. They just knew they would be. So they thought I had to be. I had a lot of people in my life tell me, you know, it's okay to not be okay. I'm like, huh? What are you, you trying to minister to me right now or what? <laughs> you know how a preacher will stand up here and say, if you have one of these people in your congregation that's just always all right, you need to get them alone in a secret place where they can man up and you can pin them and nobody's around and say, okay, brother, you tell me how are you really doing? Because what the pastor's implying is you can't be okay. But when I look at scripture, I am okay. It has nothing to do with my circumstances, my wife's choices, or my decisions of my children. It has to do with my faith, my life, and identity in him, and my purpose in life. And it overtakes everything, I promise. Does that make sense? Let me give you a little story that will give you some hope, okay? Just, again, true life stuff that happens, and sometimes we get encouraged by it, but... I'm going to take you back. It was probably seven years ago, and I'm going to be real close on that timeline. got a lady in my church who's part of the prophetic team. She's a really nice lady. Uh, her and her husband are in church. They're pretty active. And her son is the president of the LGBTQ union in Harrisburg, right? But she wants him born again. And she has convinced him that if he comes to Harvest, that's the church I was pastoring, if he would come to harvest, he wouldn't be judged there, you know, because I can't go to church. They all just judgy, judgy, judgy. And she said, no, you'll just be loved. And, and, and he doesn't believe that at all. So he comes and he sits in the second row right behind the pastoral staff, right, holding hands with his boyfriend during the whole, ser during the whole worship service. You know what I mean? And he's got one hand raised, and the other guy's got one hand raised, and they're holding hands in the middle. And I realized, thank you, Jesus, because 20 years ago, I'd have ripped your hands apart. Okay, <laughs> but, be, but I know the Lord's done a work in my life, and I begin to realize. And so I'm preaching, and I preach, and I don't even remember what I preached. I just know um, we gave an altar call that morning, and a whole bunch of people came forward, and him and the young man with him came forward for prayer. And they're holding hands while they come forward for prayer. And my house prophet, her name is Lisa, and she's coming this direction. And she's like a house on fire. She brings her own party no matter where she goes, right? So she's coming this way, and I'm coming this way. And I got a couple right here, and I've laid hands on both of the couple, and I look, and here's these two guys, and I would name them, but it doesn't matter, right? They're standing here, and they're holding hands, and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to finish with this prayer. And I can't even focus on them because I'm so focused on what, what am I supposed to do here? And, I, and I've been praying. I prayed for two other couples where I laid hands on him and her, him and her. I'm not going to lay hands on them and pray for them as a couple because it would violate my heart and my spirit. But I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want to say here? What do you want to do? And about that moment, I step in front of him and I'm like, and I look at him and the compassion of God hits me and I see something. And I reached out my hands to him and, and I said, and I called him by name, and I said, his name was Bradley. I said, Bradley, give me your hands. And for him to give me his hands, he's got to let go of the other guy, right? So now I've taken his hands, and the Lord gives me a prophetic vision and a word for him. Now, is, is he living with Christ? No, he's not living with Christ. He's not in that place. But that doesn't mean God can't see him for who he's created to be. 
right? So now I'm prophesying into who he was created to be, talking about leadership and the leadership quality that's on him and how God is raising them up. And I begin to talk to him about identity theft, this, that the thief has come to steal your identity, but God knows who you are and he's calling you into that place. And it was beautiful and I'm emotional and he's crying and I'm crying and God's moving. And about that time, Lisa got the other guy. So <laughs> and when she got him, next thing I know, he's in a fetal position on the floor, bawling like a baby. Here it turns out he was the worship leader in his dad church before he went to Harrisburg and found an alternative lifestyle, right? And she, he's calling back and God's just moving. I'd love to tell you that both of them got miraculously saved and they dedicated their life to Jesus and now they're pastoring churches. That None of that's true. Uh, he moved to North Carolina and I have no idea whatever happened to him. So I can't even tell you the end of that. Other than this, I got one of the nicest emails I ever got and it was from that young man because he said, you didn't judge me and you didn't condemn me. You called out who God created me to be. I think there's a place where sometimes when you can look at your child, whoever it is, no matter what you're doing, listen, man, I just know who God created you to be. And I just see you through that lens, you know. And, and I think there is something to that. There's so much power. If we can understand Proverbs 18:21, and because we quote it all the time, life and death's in the power of the tongue, right? And it doesn't say that. It actually says death and life are in the power of the tongue because the natural man is prone to speak death, and we've got to train our spirit to speak life. But I believe there's so much power in your words because watch what it does. Remember I said I read my Bible, what it says and what it doesn't say? Well, here's what it says. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. What it doesn't say is death and life are in the power of God's tongue. Right? God's already spoken his words. we got to come into agreement with what God says. So now we start declaring life through our tongue. And out of our tongue, we have power of our words. And I think there's a place where even we speak life over our kids. You know what I mean? If it's a guy, and I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, it doesn't matter. But if it's a young man, you might be like, come here, man of God. You know what I mean? And it might freak him out that you call him a man of God. Why? Because he's not acting like that. But that doesn't mean you can't see him that way. Because God sees him for who he's created to be. I love, a lot of times in my world, uh, again, I'm not the guy that's freaky and goofy on numbers and stuff, but I went for like two years, I saw 11-11, like twice a day, on the clocks everywhere, and it was 11-11, kept showing up. So I thought, okay, God, what are you speaking about 11-11? And 11-11 is, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it says, by faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed, right? And, and when I read that, I read that, and I think, man, because she counted him faithful who had promised. And I thought, man, when I read in Genesis 19, I don't see that, right? But I believe that heaven saw Sarah different than we have a record, right? And sometimes what we have to be able to do is see our kids the way heaven sees them through heaven's eyes. What if I could see my child through heaven's eyes rather than through the lens of life that life is speaking right now? I'm going to let heaven speak louder than life. Is that okay to say that? And there's a place where now I'm just speaking over that child. I'm speaking over their destiny. I'm speaking over who they were created to be. And, and I irritate them, but that's okay. They're already irritated anyway. So, <laughs> you know, and I've even had people say like, well, I don't want to drive them away. They're a away. <laughs> you can't drive them away. They're already away. All we can do is entice them back by telling them who God says they are. That's the world I live in. I, it works for me. You just got to find out because everybody's so different. It's like Dan said, every situation is uniquely different. So you got to hear the Holy Spirit and know how to operate in that. It's just maybe a tool to put in your toolbox. Okay. Hopefully that helps. Yes, it did. I've been seeing 11-11 too for the last year. <laughs> so maybe. All right. oh. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, so my question, I was wondering about what does it look like for you on a day-to-day -day basis, and you're probably doing it a little bit right now, 
But, you know, that water that Jesus was talking about, you know, to continually drink from. And then whenever Jesus was at the well in, uh, in Revelation, he's talking about to, to John about let him who comes to me thirst without payment and all that. What does that look like for you on a moment by moment basis throughout your life? Like just throughout your day? Yeah, it's just relation. You're talking about this? Yeah, yeah just as you go, just in, in the moment. with, with mm -hmm. the Lord. I don't have any. It's it. What it. The consistent part is that I'm never not with him. So I'm always with him. In the beginning, I spent big chunks of time with the door shut in a room. Big chunks on purpose, intentionally. And just stayed in that place and saw it and thing. I, I don't, I still do that. I don't do that like I used to. That's changed a little bit. I encourage people, don't make appointments with God and don't make dates. Like people say, well, I need to pray an hour a day because Jesus said you couldn't tarry for an hour. And we make it a doctrine, pray an hour a day. Like what in the world? Just be with the Lord, right? So I have relationship with God. Commune with him. Talk to him. He talks to me. He really does. Uh, it's just fun. Uh, when I read the word, I don't just read my Bible for knowledge. It's always an interaction and interchange. That's how Holy Spirit taught me. So that's what it looks like for me. Never not with him. I'm an outdoorsman. I hunt. I fish. Uh, I'm fine doing that. I talk to him in that. I, I'm driving in the car. We're never, I'm never alone. We're just together. Uh, I, I pray for people in parking lots where I hunt. It's just amazing. I pray for people while I'm fishing. It's just fun. So I'm never not with him. So we just have this. It would be like if Pastor and I are driving home, we're just going to talk, fellowship, and commune. How many knows that if you take a 15-mile trip with a friend of yours, you're not going to sit there quiet and you're not going to sit there and listen to a song about your friend. <laughs> you got that, didn't you? Look, it's possible in today's Christian culture to wear a Christian t-shirt, listen to sermons, and have Christian music playing all day, and never commune with the Lord. And let the Christian things you do take the place of knowing Him. Look, we drive all the time 40, 50 miles in a car and never even talk to the Lord. And He's with you and in you the whole time. It's how you get, it goes back to this young man's question, it's how you get to know him. So I don't know how else to describe what it looks like with me other than it's just a continual awareness of him in my life. Now, he loves me, he's for me, he absolutely loves me and he's for me. So I always have access to him. Just commune with him and talk to him. There's times I break away, I got something on my heart I want to pray through. There's things I want to commune with him about, there's something I want to search out. I have those times, sure I do, but I'm never not with him. Make sense? Okay. I just feel a little compelled to give you a tool because I think that's the practical application and I love what Dan just said and, and, and I might have even got this from you I'm not sure but give me your tell me your favorite scripture um, yeah that would be a hard one I don't have one yeah uh, pick, I really pick like, any yeah, yeah I really like uh, for I know the plans I have for you the plans are prospering not to harm you okay so Jeremiah 29 11 right that's where you're at okay so I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to, uh, to, to give you a hope and a future is one of, the, one of the versions, right? So if I'm reading my Bible, okay, early years, I'm going to read at least a chapter a day. And if I haven't read at least a chapter, I'm in trouble, right? I'm probably going to hell in my mind, right? Uh, some days I would sit and read like entire, like I'm just going to read through the book of Romans, 16 chapters, you know what I mean? 
let me give you this. If you sit down and, and, and you're going to spend two and a half hours reading the book of Romans, I'm just picking, it probably wouldn't take you that long, but let's call it an hour and a half to read 16 chapters of Romans. And you spend there and you've read 16 chapters. What I want to know is this. When you're done reading the chapters, what's your takeaway after 16 chapters? Right. Because if you're like me, you just read 16 chapters, you probably left more confused. But somehow we 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 have found a place where we validated our Christian experience because, hey, I read the whole book of Romans today. You know what I mean? And, and now we got a, a, a star on our forehead or a notch on our belt, whatever. You know what I mean? The reality is that sometimes for me, what I like to do is this. I'm going to take a little section of scripture. So you just pulled Jeremiah 29, 11. It's the only reason I ask you that. And the idea behind it is I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 11. And I'm just going to stop. And I'm just going to think on that for a minute. I'm going to meditate that. Father, I thank you that you really do have plans for me. That God, I'm not just an accident. I'm not just something that was lightly created in the cosmos. I'm not just a social security number. You love me and you're for me. And you do have a plan for my life. And it's a plan for good and not for evil. And God, I thank you that there's an expected end. You're giving me a future and a hope. And God, I thank you. And I want to press into that future. And I want to know that I'll carry that hope with me all the days of my life. What did I just do? I just took that one verse and made it extremely personal. Am I making sense when I say this? Because now what happens is... The Bible isn't just a book to be read through so that I can accomplish my Christian checklist. Not that anybody in this church would ever think that way, just other churches. <laughs> but, but, but out of that place, what I want us to be able to do is personalize that. Because your relationship with Jesus, if it ain't personal, it don't matter. Now you're just religious and you don't even have a real encounter with the Lord. Is that okay? It sounds really harsh, but, but I'm right. Yeah. So, some people are allergic to truth. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, but, but yeah, but but in the midst of that, what we have is we have the reality that's because now the gospel is becoming real to me. Now truth is becoming real, and now I, I'm, I'm actually owning that, and it becomes a, such a it's a game changer. It's a game changer for me anyway. I constantly read sections of scripture, like maybe three or four verses, then I'm going to stop, meditate on that. How's that speaking to me? Because if it's not changing my Tuesday, it's probably, it's not the real deal. I don't know how else to say that. It's got to be impacting me. But that's how I go from glory to glory. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Thank you both. Yeah, very good. Thanks. My heart's doing that thumping thing you're talking about. Uh, but I'm just a, a young believer in uh, Christ Jesus. And um, I just want to know some things I could do day-to-day to shine for Jesus, truly, you know? <laughs> well, he says you're the light of the world, so so light is greater than darkness. That, You know, love is light, forgiveness, loving kindness to the nature of God. What I would encourage you to do at your young age, because we talked last night a little bit, and I really enjoyed talking to you and your buddies, and I was just touched by your hearts and your age and your hunger to go after God. So... As you're looking in the word, and even this last question, the communion with the Lord and the scripture, man, just let God continue to develop the nature of God in you and what it looks like to love and to walk in love. And not to where you're trying to fulfill a doctrine, but you're actually becoming something in your union, in your prayer time. When pastor's saying about this meditating in word, it's something I've taught for years. We did it in the kingdom school. We took them all downstairs. Remember, I put them in all their own little private places and we played a little soft music and I had to meditate through Ephesians 1. And it was just wailing and crying. It was, it was one, of, one of the first times the people said they ever read the word personally with the Lord rather than just reading it for knowledge. 
So what I would encourage you, because when you do that, every time you release faith in the truth, grace comes to make truth your reality. That's how you're saved, by grace through faith. That's how you change. You don't change because you try to change. You change because he changes you. That way all glory goes to God. If all glory doesn't go to God, if we change ourselves, then somebody ought to get a trophy. But I think he gets all the glory, right? So here's, here's, here's what it is. It's just good works, good works. It's, it's, is, is, is just simply walking in the light, walking in the lights, walking in love, mercy, forgiveness, loving kindness. Uh, as, you, as you do this, man, and you thank God that he's in you, his life's in you, his nature's in you, and you begin to commune with God in that way, and you declare that, Father, I thank you you've anointed me. I thank you you live inside of me. Man, I thank you that stress and strife and the busyness of the day will never run my life again because you are my all in all. Man, I'm complete in you. Nobody owes me a thing. And God, I thank you for living in me and being so alive in me and that people can't help but to see the beauty of who you are in me. That's just an example of something I've prayed and believed, and that's the way I talk when nobody's around. And driving in my car, I'll just talk like that. When I walk into my life, I'm not trying to be those things. Those things are being developed in me by the grace of God and Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, it's changing my desires. It's changing. I used to, when I first got saved, I couldn't walk by a piece of paper. I'd be at work, and we had maintenance men. I'd just pick stuff up. I'd walk by to this day. I pick up. I, I was at the airport, and the guy said, oh, wow, you grabbed that? I said, well, yeah, it was laying right there. I just threw it in the can. It just... It's just part of conviction. It's just part of, it's just him. You know what I mean? But you see people, you, know, you help with something, you're aware of things, you're outside yourself. And all of a sudden, that could look like a lot of things. But it comes from that place where nobody's around but you and him. You're in your bedroom, you're going to bed, you're waking up in the morning. Father, man, thank you for another day. I so appreciate the way you love me. God, I thank you you're in me. You look through my eyes. You live through my life. Man, I want to shine today. Whatever that looks like to you, man, let it be in my day. God, show me the value of people like you valued me. Let me see them just like you've seen me. See, the more you're in touch with this truth, the more you'll see this truth when you look this way. And the more valuable people will become to you. Do you see what I'm saying? And you'll, it'll just, so there's not a real textbook on what that, good, what that shining looks like other than it's in the moment. It's Christ manifested through you. Yeah. So, just the fact that you have that desire speaks incredible volumes, man. Incredible volumes. Like, I have people tell me all the time, oh, it's getting really dark out there. It's really dark. It's dark. It's all it's dark. And I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, this is awesome. What a great time to shine. And they've, they've compared, like, even because of all the stuff that's going on in our planet right now. Like, man, it's like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God, and there's people think, well, God's going to destroy the earth. You know, God. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of the presence of darkness. It wasn't because it was so dark. It wasn't destroyed because it was dark. It was destroyed because there was an absence of light. Abraham says, God, if I could find 50 righteous, how about 40? How about 30, 20, 10, right? Gets it down to 10. I mean, he went from retail to wholesale. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> he's, he's, he's dealing with God. But because we couldn't even find 10 righteous, it wasn't the presence of darkness that got the city destroyed. It was the absence of light. What if we all make a choice like he just said, what do I got to do to shine? All of a sudden now we're changing communities. We're changing states. We're changing the nation. Why? Because we got a conscious decision. Let's shine. Light me up. Anyway, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, you too, man. Let's make these the last two questions. But before, why don't we take a 30-second stretch break? Why don't I have everyone stand up here?
Get some blood flowing in your body. <laughs> We're supposed to stretch. <laughs> yeah, I was just participating. <laughs> So this um, literally happened to me just yesterday. I had a friend call, and uh, there's a woman, he said, was in hospice. Come pray for her, you know, and she had cancer. And, uh, well, I spent, it was the day before, and I spent the day seeking the Lord and praying for her. And I wanted to go in there with faith. I'm a believer in healing. I pray for people to be healed. And I go upstairs, um, I go upstairs to her room, and, and uh, she's laying there, and she's really not even conscious, but he wakes her up uh, to, for me to pray for her, and uh, I so much want to see her healed, you know, I want to pray a prayer of faith, and I just don't, I don't feel any faith, well, I know the word feeling is not where it's at, but I want to pray a prayer of faith, and I don't even know if I can, you know, and I've had situations like this before. So I'm talking to the Lord, like, how should I pray for her? And I'm praying, that, does she know Jesus? And I, so I offer Christ to her, doing the best. And she does respond, and I, she can't talk. And so I asked her to squeeze my hand. I had a really miraculous thing. Later, she grabbed my hand. Yeah. Later, she just reached up and grabbed it out of nowhere. But anyway, I just really wanted to pray for faith, and I'm just not feeling it or anything. And uh, so I did pray for her, laid my hands on her. Actually, I came back up later and prayed for her again when her, her husband told me something else. But what you do in your situations like that, or you want to believe and, you want, and you're just not feeling it. You're just not, you don't seem like you have any faith at all to pray, but you want to. Hmm. I've been in situations that were very overwhelming, the circumstances, the visual. Uh, I've just learned to look past that. It all, faith comes by hearing, obviously hearing by the word, but faith works through love. When I, what works for me, this is just me talking. It's, 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 with God, nothing's impossible. Like he can do anything and he loves people. And I'm his representative. Like I'm a believer. I lay my hands on the sick and they recover. He lives in me. He wants to love through me. So you, you just have to get your eyes. When my wife was in a coma on life support, that's my wife. That's, that's pretty close to home. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody on life support guys intubated and I mean they start swelling their eyes a half like just kind of open a little and she just her face looked she didn't even look like her you know what I'm saying I mean it was pretty visual so I just don't look at that man I just I, I didn't pray long actually I popped her eyes open and said hey girl and I talked to her and I smiled real big I said uh, I'm here to get you out of this nap and uh, I just 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 talked a lot of that was for my son so don't, I don't pray long. If I pray long, I've, I, I, I violate myself. So I don't know how you all feel about this, but I, I think sometimes we're trying to pray ourselves into faith. Faith works through love. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So I think sometimes we quote some scripture to try to find faith. Here's the truth. Is he Lord? Did he raise from the dead? Does he heal? And does he love her? I just stick to the, because I can't make her healed. I can't heal her. But he said heal the sick. You see what I'm saying? So don't get critical about feelings. Feelings come and go. Feelings will lie to you. Like Pastor said, I'm not real caught up. If my feelings are counterproductive, I don't live by them. I don't even feel like bad for having them. I just don't believe them. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? A lot of us are thinking perfection. No, I'm thinking purity, and that's just live by faith, and that's push away the things that aren't productive. So if I walk in a room like that, and somebody, I've, I've had that happen plenty of times, man. I've been in some pretty serious situations, and I've had my soul stumble, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I walked into a room of an old friend, and I couldn't even tell it was him when I walked in, and I wasn't ready for it. I turned right out and walked out, and I went to my truck and cried. Yeah. And I said, God, forgive me. I just walked in there. I wasn't even prepared for what I walked into. And when I saw it, what I saw shook me. It just shook me. I said, but you're the Lord, and you're greater. And I built myself up in who he was in the car. I actually was driving home. I turned around and went back, called his wife, and said, meet me in the room. We went in. This is this amazing story. He was in a coma for six months. And I wasn't ready for what I saw. I knew this guy. When I walked in, I didn't know it was him. He was so changed by his condition. I just turned and walked out because I knew if I lay hands on him, I was shook. I went and regrouped, man. I was just, God, and you're, and the reason you're healed because her, and had nothing to do with how he's changed you. Everything's possible with you, and I got all fired up, and I went back in. I called his wife. I said, meet me there. We're going to go pray, but now I knew what I was walking into, so that, that, that was more than just overriding some feelings. I, I wasn't prepared. I got shook. If I'd have prayed, it would have been religious. Yeah. I went and regrouped. This man, I went in and prayed. And, and we, I walked out. I no sooner got out of his room, his wife was there. He woke up. I ended up wow. ministering to this guy, going back and visiting him. I don't know how many rooms I ended up in and talking and praying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There was this guy next to him, was a bar owner that was dying. And he, he said, hey, can you come in here? He owned a bar in York. I knew the name of the bar. He had just had both his legs amputated. He was dying of something. He had just both his legs amputated. And, and he was crying, and he said, I've been wanting to call you in my room every time because I hear you over there. I hear you. And I just been wanting to call. He said, you know God. I know you know God. I don't know God, and I'm going to die, and I don't know God. Is there any hope for me? I said, oh, my goodness, Jack, there's hope for you. <laughs> and I'm crying, and we're praying. But, but sometimes you just overwhelm. Sometimes you so you got to, is this just a quick visual boom? Okay, do I need to just readjust that? I walked out. I, don't, I never had to do that before. That's the only time that happened to me. Most of the time when it happens to me, I can rebound in the room. I can just say, whoa, wait a minute. It has nothing to do with what I'm looking at. Man, you're God. I go to this one. This one helped me because I saw a miracle years ago through this one. If he breathed into dirt and a man stood up. He can fix your body. That's what the Lord had me tell somebody. And I watched her body change. So that's a revelation for me. So I, if I see that, I just grab something that, that stirs faith. If you breathed into dirt and a man stood up, this ain't nothing for you. <laughs> you get it? Yeah, yeah. And, and guys, let's stop judging ourselves for feelings and emotions when they're counterproductive. That's just not believable. Like this life we're preaching, you're not running the risk of failing if you step out in it. You're privileged to become. Because it's not about failing, it's about becoming and growing up into him in all things. So that's not failure when you had that. That's just us growing up into him in all things. So rebound, get your hands on her, and release faith. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I I think in line with that, one of the things that really helped me, um, faith isn't a tool in our tool belt to get our prayers answered. Faith is a perspective to live by. The just live by faith. You understand? So it's not even about a feeling. It's a perspective. 
And out of that place then, remember that I said a little bit ago about when I'm reading the scripture and I just talk to the Lord about the scripture, right? So I'm praying and I'm reading and, and uh, I'm reading through, um, what's it say about with God? Nothing is, and I'm reading that one day, with God, nothing is impossible. And so I just stopped and said, God, I just thank you that there's nothing impossible for you. You can do anything. You can, there's nothing you can't do, God. You're awesome. And I just got to get in the faith to believe that, man, whatever you want to do, you can do because nothing, nothing's impossible with you. And the Holy Spirit said, read it again. And I read it again, with God, nothing's impossible. And I went through that whole thing and just rehearsing, God, there's literally nothing you can't do. I'm in faith to believe that you're the God of everything. You're the God of all creation. There's nothing you can't do. And, I'm, and he said, read it again, only read it slower. And I went through this like six times. I don't, I don't have time to go into it all now. But like by the sixth time I'm reading with God, nothing is impossible. And that's when it hit me. If I pray in faith and believe God, it would be impossible for him to do nothing. Do you understand that perspective? So I got to believe that every time I pray, even though I can't see it, something has to be happening. Why? Because I prayed in faith to a God who hears by faith. Do you understand? So with God, nothing, well, that would be impossible for nothing to happen. And you just got to be in that place of believing, man. Does it make sense? Yes. Good. And just to encourage the whole room, what you said, that analogy he just shared, we've all experienced that if we pray for the sick. It's the, what he just described has happened to me more times than I could tell you. So it's not like you're in some less spiritual place. You're just facing the reality of what you're in front of, and you just got to get past what you're seeing and hook up to what you're believing. Yeah. What you, that little scenario you share, I've been in so many hospital rooms, so many nursing homes, so many trauma units, I couldn't possibly tell you like he has. That scenario has happened to me way more times than I could ever describe. That's not failure. That's just the reality of getting, seeing something. We got to realign and boom, go back yeah. to what we believe. So I think that's happened to everybody that's ever prayed for the sick in this room. Mm -hmm. So don't see that as a failure. That's not a lack of spirituality. Agreed? Yeah. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Bill. I didn't know it was okay to come up a second time, so I just did. No. No. <laughs> no um, my question is, I, how, how do you navigate the season when you're hearing God so clear and he's just speaking and everything is boom, 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 and then a season of silence where it seems like you're not hearing in that same way? I just go with what I last heard and the thing I heard and I talk to him as if he's right there. I've had some seasons where I feel like he hasn't talked to me the same in a sense. I'm always aware he's my father and he's there. But as far as talking and instruction, I mean, you just you make sure you're following the last thing you heard. When I travel, I travel every weekend. I haven't got instruction on what I'm doing, traveling, minister, and itinerating since 2011. You know what that means to me? I just need to keep doing what I heard in 2011, and if he wants that to change, he'll tell me. So I live by the last thing I heard, and it's 2023. That's a lot of years. Are you with me? No, it's just a good illustration. So the thing I heard last is what I stay faithful to. That's where I find grace, and that's what I have faith in because I know I heard that. But I don't get caught up in silence. I'm not like, you're not talking to me. No, he's my father, and he loves me. In fact, Jesus loves me with his life. You get it? So we're good. <laughs> Amen. So don't, don't, don't overthink that one. 
And obey the last thing you heard. And make sure you're current in the last thing you heard. You got any? Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Don and Dan. Tonight, uh, 6 p.m. and uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I hope to see you guys there. Blessings. <laughs> Amen.